Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. All three of us in different locations, different time zones. It's that time of year. Uh, welcome to the show, guys. Um, Oregon, Oklahoma, Alamo Bowl kicks off in a little over th- you know, 36 hours or so now um, at the time of this recording. And the, the line has moved to Oklahoma minus seven. Um, I, I think... These types of bowl games um, are always ones in which you, you're curious to see how the team that you cover or the team that, that you're a fan of or the team that you're there rooting for shows up. How interested are they in playing this football game? Um, and I, I think that's probably the biggest storyline for both of these teams is what's the interest level of, of wanting a win first and foremost because the Pac-12 has not won an Alamo Bowl game ever. And that's typically the number two team that comes from the conference after they lose the Pac-12 championship game. So it, it, I'm my biggest question going into this one is just how what is the desire of of Oregon in this football game? Do they want to be here? That's a crazy stat just to start. The Alamo, like the Pac-12, just never wins these, and and it makes sense because it's Big Twelve, and the Big Twelve is just from a geographical perspective, a lot closer to, to San Antonio than any of the Pac-12 footprints. Yeah, I mean, we don't we don't really know. I mean, they, they, they've been saying what they've said, and what they've said is that this is a huge game for them and that this has been a year that has been so difficult that they want to end it on the right note. I mean, I think they're all pretty embarrassed by the way the regular season ended. So there's there should be motivation, right? And But yep. should be what is, like, who knows? Like, we're, I don't think we're going to know until we you know, flip on the game. And, and honestly, like, for me um, – I don't doubt there's a lot of motivation for a lot of these guys. I don't doubt they're going to want to win. I mean, they don't show – I mean, if, if you didn't care, you'd opt out and try to go pro. And there, are, I think it's notable that, like, some of the team's best players didn't choose to opt out and go pro when there's a possibility that they end up doing that, right, in terms of going pro. Like, Verone McKinley is going to play this game. I think we all sort of – I know we're going to get into this later, but, like, kind of expect that he might decide to do that ultimately. And same thing with Travis Dye or TJ Bass or some of these kind of players. So, um, I think that part's notable. And I, I think this team has been through so much that they owe it to themselves to to really go for it. And I think you just everything that they've said indicates that this is means a ton to them. And you know, I think that I mean I'm I'm almost more concerned just about the depth of players that they have. I mean, Matt had the story a couple of days ago on like they're down like 30 guys. And I think I mean, I think almost over a dozen guys that were in the two deep defensively just to start the season aren't available for this game. Like, I mean, that kind of stuff is like there might be a will to win. I don't doubt there's going to be a will to win, but like they're up against quite a bit here. And I know Oklahoma's dealing with some similar stuff in terms of like lack of continuity, but Oregon's really up against it from a numbers perspective. And I'm just curious to see kind of how this. I mean, I'm honestly, this is going to be a new, a new look team. I mean, this is not going to be a, a team that really resembles the team that was competing for a conference championship about a month ago. Um, this is a team that is down so many key guys that you're expecting again that one, you know, that next man up mentality to kind of to kind of take force here because you need it to. 
Yeah, I think I would be just absolutely stunned if they didn't come out and actually play hard in terms of if they want this game or not. Um, Eric, like you were just saying, like this is a team that's been battered through injuries and, and everything else over the course of the year. Um, I would have no reason to believe that they're not going to come out and stick with that same next man up mentality. And, um, you know, co defensive coordinator for now, <laughs> Tim DeRuiter, talked about it at his press conference. like, oh, we think we're going to compete like hell. And I'm, I'm sure they are. And But again, yeah, Eric, my biggest worry is that. Uh, Matt, your story is down 30 players, uh, 14 off the two deep on defense. Um, at one point, that's got to give. And I, we were saying that all year long in terms of all the injuries where this is great. Uh, it's very surprising that they're having this much success um, with all these injuries. Uh, it's a real like testament to the talent that they've developed and brought in over the years. But at one point, enough is enough. And it might just be that against Oklahoma. Um, Oklahoma dealing with their own stuff too, going through a coaching change with Lincoln Riley going to SC and bringing in Brent Venables. But um, that's still a loaded team. That's still a very good team. Um, this I, I, Again, I don't have any, any notion that Oregon wouldn't come into this game and really try to play their ass off and really try to win. Um, I just think this is just going to be a, a talent disparity, a depth disparity, um, just something that, you know, might not, that, that Oregon's going to have to deal with that they might not have the chance to actually um, come out on top with. It's just a lot to ask at this point during the year. It's, it's just very not indicative of the team that they were a month ago or even just two months ago um, in terms of the talent, the, the, the obviously the coaching staff. Um, this is a team that's gone through so much change in the last month and a half, and I don't – it's going to be – it's going to be really hard for them to like regroup and, you know, beat a team like Oklahoma after all this change. Um, but I do expect them to come out there and play just like they have been all year long. Um, I should I correct that stat though, Eric, um, about the Alamo bowl in the PAC 12, that obviously PAC 12 teams have won that Oregon has won the Alamo bowl, but it's the teams that come from the PAC 12 championship game that play in this. Mm. Uh, they, they lose, uh, Utah did it in 2019 to Texas, 38 to 10. Stanford did it in 2017, uh, 39 to 17. Uh, they lost to TCU. Colorado the year before that, they lost to Oklahoma State, 38 to 8. So um, history is not on the side of the Pac-12 championship game loser um, in this in this game. But nonetheless, I, I do think there is some optimism for, for a win for Oregon. I don't think I'm going to predict Oregon to win, but it wouldn't surprise me because this Oklahoma team is not a, a juggernaut when you look at their 10-2 and two record and, and how many times they, you know, they skirted a loss at the last moment. Um, uh, we were talking with a beat reporter here from Oklahoma earlier this week here in San Antonio, and he argued – just like Oregon, Oklahoma could very easily have been six and six this year um, if it wasn't for some lucky bounces. So um, I, I, I do think this game could possibly end in an Oregon victory, um, but it's going to take probably an A plus level performance, and that's that's going to ask a lot from this team um, going into this one against Oklahoma. Uh, it's also a moment where we could be seeing the last get couple of games for some key guys for the Ducks. Travis Dye, um, Verone McKinley, and TJ Bass are the three upperclassmen who have NFL draft decisions to make that have not made them yet, or have at least not made them public. Um, 
we've seen over the last week or so multiple guys come out and say they're coming back. Alex Forsyth has said he's coming back. Stephen Jones uh, has said he's coming back. Malasala uh, Amube Lulu has said that he was going pro and then he's coming back and he's now back for Oregon in 2022. Brandon Dorless has said that he will return for Oregon uh, in 2022, which leads us with those three, Die, Bass, and Verone McKinley. Um, is what, what's our feeling here with these three? I, I think at least one of them will come back in 2022, um, but I, I don't think all three will. And who that is, I don't know. I, I, I truly think all three of these guys are probably really torn on what they should do with their decisions, and that's probably why they haven't made them public. I, really, I just want to start by reacting to the doorless news because that's we haven't rec- we haven't recorded yeah. a podcast since that, and I think that's really significant. Um, mm-hmm. And just to tip, I'm not going to spend too much time because I know we want to get on to other stuff. But tip of the cap to Dan Landing and, and the staff that's in place for kind of I don't want to say persuading or coercing him to stay because as Landing said, you don't trick anyone to sticking around. But just to, to having conversations and communicating a vision that he found attractive enough to stick another year because I, I mean I think. I do think there's room for Dorless to really grow in terms of his draft stock this year as the focal point of Oregon's defensive line. Obviously, he's been kind of playing second fiddle with the KT the last couple, but I mean, I think he could have gone pro this year and been a top four, five round pick, maybe yes. more in that range. You know, I don't know exactly where it is. I think if he comes back and has a great year, he can be maybe a, a second second day pick. Um, you know, with with a really strong junior season. Um, anyway, I just thought it was notable to react to that because that's big news. And I think that was one that I don't want to say caught us by surprise, but I did think he, he also belonged in that category like the three we're discussing now where you could argue one way or the other. Easily, he could go the other way. Um, in terms of the three we're discussing right now, I think I'd be pretty surprised if Verone comes back um, based upon the way he's kind of discussed things in interview settings. Um, you know, at, at points, I think he was reflecting on his career and saying he had three goals going into it. One was to win the Thorpe, one was to win a national championship, and one was to be an All-American. And he sort of said in past tense, and I, at least I got one of the three because he was a consensus All-American. I don't know if that was just a slip of the mind there by him. I don't know if if the, the tense was wrong or what, but it kind of that comment I was kind of I, I took note of it. Plus the fact that he was a consensus All-American and has done so much, and this is already his you know his fourth year in the program at least. So I could see that being. I, I feel that's probably the one I would be least confident returns. I think there's a case for Travis Dye too that he probably goes. I, if, if, we're, if we're ranking in order of least likely to return, I go McKinley Dye Bass, um, and I actually think TJ Bass could be a really good NFL player. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of what he can become, so I'm not diminishing that. I wouldn't actually of the three guys like I wouldn't be surprised in eight years we're looking back and Bass has had maybe the best career of all three of them, or at least on even footing with a couple of those guys. But um, yeah, that would be my order, my, my hierarchy, I guess, from, from, I think Verone's the least likely. I think Travis is, I would also lean probably doesn't return. And I would say to me, Bass is kind of a 50, 50 in my mind. I think the other two, I would lean the odds are that they don't come back. I think, I, I mean, I agree in the order. I, I think Verone and, and die should go like immediately. Um, I don't know what else they have to prove at Oregon. Um, Verone, he has his strengths, he has his weaknesses, just like every player that declares for the draft, as does Travis Dye. Um, they've both shown how they can be used in a specific setting and a specific package or whatever and excel in that. 
Um, and the common comparison for Dai is like an Austin Eckler type of player. And I think he could potentially become that. Um, I just don't see why he would want to spend, honestly, another year at school when he's had, um, this has been his one year basically to show that he can be the workhorse and be the number one guy. And he showed it, he showed it a lot. And he showed that he can, he's durable, he can handle the extra workload. Um, he can break tackles, he can break runs off. He can, uh, you know, he has breakaway speed at points. Like for him, I, I don't know why, I, I don't know. He just, I, for him and his best interest, I think he needs to go to the draft because- uh, Also, also Jared, he just got engaged like two days ago. Did get yes. engaged. So con- congratulations to Travis. Um, big step up. So he'll, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think that he needs to go and not because I don't want to see him next year because we would all love to see Travis back because he is such a great player, but yeah, I don't think he has anything left to prove. And that's a good thing too. Um, as far as CJ Bass, you know, I would like to see him come back because I do think he's a really good football player. Um, and maybe a full season at left tackle would really enhance his draft stock. But hey, he was pretty damn good for the last half of the year I left tackle. And I think a lot of NFL scouts will see that and think, well, if we put him only at left tackle under NFL tutelage and get him in the NFL weight room in a training camp, that could be something special too. And it wouldn't necessarily cost us a first or second or third round pick. Um, I haven't seen TJ Bass slated in any mock, mock drafts or anything like that. So I don't know where he would end up going, but – I do think he's a talented enough prospect where he should absolutely consider going to the draft. Um, I think there's a good chance he comes back. This would be his third year going, or if he came back, it would be his third year in college, which for a junior college player, probably one too many, but I think it would, I think it would benefit him in terms of becoming a better player. I think it would benefit his draft stock. Um, But I think I, I agree with Eric in terms of, Verone, Travis, Bass, in terms of who are the le- or the most likely to go enter the draft. I think all three of these guys, if they went, would all get drafted. And it, I Agreed. don't think any of them would be seventh-round draft picks. Um, nice. I think if Dorless went, he probably would have been picked in the mid-rounds. And I think uh, if, if Sala went, he probably would have gotten drafted as well. And same for Alex Forsyth. Um, Stephen Jones is one in which – I, I have no doubt that he would make a practice squad, but maybe it, it's a stretch to say an NFL draft pick, but he's got the measurables to, to get there. Um, he would he would grade out well in the testing areas, but the three guys that haven't announced yet, I, I think all three of them, if they come back, I don't necessarily think the, the – and this is where we don't really know. I don't want to speak for them. But mm-hmm. it feels more like, hey, I want to leave Oregon in a good place. I want to accomplish a team individual goal or a team goal or a, an individual goal. Um, and at the same time, maybe improve my draft stock a little bit. Um, I, all three guys, would, would there would be some emotional attachment to Oregon and the connection they have with this program, in my eyes at least, for their return to Oregon. Because all three of them could go and announce that they're – going to the draft and all three will hear their names get called. I think that speaks to just the volume of, of talent that they have. Um, let's move on to, to some predictions for this game. Um, it is a 6:15 Pacific time kickoff from the Alamo bowl. Uh, Oregon is ranked 14th in the, in the poll going into this one. Oklahoma is 16th. 
Uh, Oregon is playing for its eighth uh, 11 win season all time in program history. Um, the Ducks are 15 and 19 all time in, in the bowl games. Uh, they are one and one in this game uh, here at the Alamo Bowl. And Oklahoma leads this series against the Ducks six to one with the only victory being that infamous 34-33 victory in Eugene back in 2006 that Bob Stoops to this day has not forgotten, as he should. Uh, it's, still ridic- it's still one of the most ridiculous games I've ever seen, Matt. <laughs> uh, on the call, uh, Jason Baghetti and Andre Ware for ESPN. Um, it'll be a solid TV crew, broadcast crew, but predictions for this one. Um, I'll start off with the individual pick here. I think Travis Dye in his last game, potentially, uh, for the Oregon Ducks, goes out with a bang if, if it is his last one. Um, I, I've got him scoring at least one touchdown. He's going to have at least 120 all-purpose yards. But the caveat here is he's not going to have 100 yards rushing. I think he's probably honestly going to be uh, one of Oregon's most active targets in the passing game. And so I think he's just going to have an overall really good performance uh, where Duck fans will walk out, out of this game thinking he gave it his all. He had one of his best games of the season. I also went with Travis. Um, I didn't even get specific in terms of the, the details. I just have him scoring every offensive touchdown Oregon scores. Um, and I was specific with offensive touchdown because I'll get to prediction later that maybe suggests someone on another side of the ball. And by the way, mm. it's football, so there's not that many sides of the football. So you can all <laughs> use your use your logic there. What kind of what kind of reasoning do I have? What, what other position could I be talking about? Um, I, I I'm with you, Matt. And like I I. I I do ultimately anticipate Travis goes pro. I think that's kind of where I'm at. I would say I'm probably like 70-30 kind of feeling that that's where he goes, maybe maybe even a little bit stronger that he leaves. And I think it would mean a lot for him to go out with a really strong effort like you're talking about. Um, Oklahoma defensively, and we'll get to some of uh, my team predictions later, but like they're down their four best front seven players. Like they had five players on the. By the way, it was interesting looking at the conference, and I know defensively Oklahoma was not a juggernaut by any means, and both Baylor and Oklahoma State, who were in the conference championship game, had much better defenses. But Oklahoma didn't have a single first team all conference defensive player. They had five on the second team for the Big Twelve, um, and four of them opted out of this game and were front seven players. You know, their top two linebackers, their top two defensive linemen, the leading tackler, their three leading tackles for loss players are all not playing in this game. I think that gives Oregon an opportunity. With its offensive line, which, by the way, remains basically intact, and yep. that's a strength mm-hmm. for this team, I think they're going to have an opportunity to run the ball a little bit and do some things between the tackles. So I look for Travis to have a strong day. Again, I'm not predicting anything specific from a yards perspective. I just think when they score on offense, he's the one doing it. Yeah, I I have Travis Day as well. We're three for three right now for the individual offensive guys. Um, yeah, I took into account all the Oklahoma players that were leaving as well. Um, that's that's a huge gash to anybody's front seven, especially Oklahoma's, which wasn't tremendous all year long. Um, I mean, that's that's been the narrative with Oklahoma for the last few years is that they they certainly know how to score points, but they cannot prevent it. Um, so them losing, you know, four of their top seven, uh, that's that's a really hard blow. And, and Eric, like you said, Oregon's offensive line, it's still the same. It's still the same that you know rushed for two hundred yards a couple of times this season. Um, I don't expect Travis Dye to go for 200, but I have him going for at least 150 with two touchdowns. Um, I don't think Oregon's going to score 
too often in this game. We'll get to actual predictions later. But I, I think that Travis Dye is going to take home most of the touchdowns. Um, not all of them, like Eric says, but most of them. Team stat prediction here. Um, I'm sticking with the run game. And why is YouTube guys just broke it down perfectly? Uh, Oklahoma is not good against the run. And they're without four of their top seven front seven guys um, due to opt-outs. So I, I actually think what is Oregon's – like strength going into this game. Um, I feel like it's the run game. Like you guys said, the offensive line is intact. Anthony Brown is still back. Travis Dye is still back. Brian Cardwell is still back. The tight ends are all back and healthy. This is their bread and butter and they are going to execute that. And so I, I think it's going to be a healthy dose of Oregon's offense pr producing on the ground and trying to make this a shorter game than it, than it normally would be do the ball control type style offense. And Oregon's going to go for over 250 yards rushing uh, in this game. And it's going to be a three-headed monster. It's going to be Travis Dye. It's going to be Anthony Brown. And it's going to be Byron Cardwell. I have Oregon over 200 yards. I actually originally wrote 250. And then I thought 250, typically they win if 250. And I'm not predicting them to win. So I did like a little bit of reverse engineering <laughs> on it. Sorry, I just ruined my prediction. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> although that's already on. If you've looked at the Scopal Domus this week, I've already kind of, I've already said that. I've already made that prediction known. So um, yeah, I mean, a lot of what we just said stands out. And, and I, I looked at Oklahoma statistically this year on defense. And there are, with their full, you know, you know complement of players, better against the run than the pass. But they are without their four best, in, you know, front seven guys. We've talked about this. I want to belabor the point. So, I mean, I, I took a long look at saying, could this be a, a game where Anthony Brown really lights it up? And then I went, well, what we just saw from Anthony Brown the last time out isn't really representative of someone who can do that. And Oregon is going to be without, when we haven't talked about this too much, but I think it's kind of common knowledge, like basically it's four best receivers now that Devin Williams has opted out. Um, you know, you'd already without Giant Johnson and Jalen Red and Micah Pittman. Now you're without Devin Williams. And at the beginning of the season, those are the four guys we all thought were going to be the top players, along with Troy Franklin, who was a true freshman, who we figured would be kind of in the mix because he was getting a lot of hype at a fall camp. Um, so it would be a surprise to me if Anthony Brown just lights it up, throwing the ball down the field, because that would just be so counter to everything we've seen for most of this season, especially against good competition. Like you go out there and you find the games where he threw for, you know, 275 to 300 plus yards. And that was not to be totally diminishing of opponents, but that was against kind of crappier teams. I guess I was just very, I was just very diminishing. Very diminishing. Crappier. <laughs> um, but like, that, and that's just kind of the reality of it is, is that they haven't really thrown the ball effectively against good defenses or good teams in general. So I don't anticipate this being a big Anthony Brown game. So that leads me back to the point where I think 200 yards rushing is, is very attainable. And by the way, that's what they average for the season. So I'm basically, my, my bold prediction is that they rush for their season average. <laughs> I, uh, I went away from the rushing game for this one. Um, like like you said, Eric, I don't anticipate Anthony Brown to light it up, but I do. I have predicted that the the freshman trio of wide receivers, um, or maybe even Isaiah Rivard, get him in the mix too. Uh, I think they're going to combine for over 100 yards total uh, in terms of um, uh, reception yards, and then at least one touchdown. Um, I think this is more of a prediction of what I would like to see more than what maybe will happen. Um, I want to see how Troy Franklin, Dante Thor, and Isaiah Braybard, Chris Hudson, and, and how they look against an Oklahoma defense. Um, this year, Oklahoma wasn't wasn't that good in past defense. I think they allowed like 
260 yards a game, 258, um, which was worse than Oregon's, which a lot of people had a lot of flack for Oregon's pass defense over the year. Um, but I think I'm just excited to see these guys play. And it's kind of like the turning the page of the new era of, of what Oregon's offense, what Oregon's overall team will look like and, you know, what's coming up for next year and um, this final game. Are you, by the way, sorry, are you including Chris Hudson in the, in the freshman too? So you're like, it's isn't, all of, because all of Oregon's receivers are freshmen. Yeah. Yes. Isn't he a freshman? Yes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think they're all freshmen. <laughs> you're saying all receivers will get 100 yards, basically. Besides that. Oh, well, <laughs> I would like, yeah, I just want to see the, 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 really honestly, the Dante Thornton and the Troy Franklins of the world. But I guess Chris Hudson is in there too. Chris Hudson is uh, much like Noah Sewell, where he is a second year true freshman. Um, so if he has the, the ability to redshirt and still play three more years of football following that. Um, so technically, yes, Jared, he is a freshman. Wild. It's wild. Nice. That is 100% true. Wild. Uh, defensive individual pick here. Um, Oklahoma traditionally wants to throw the football quite a bit. They want to spread you out. They are not a power run game team. I think they're going to try and throw the football on Oregon. And I, I've, I'm going to go with one of Oregon's best players on this team, Barone McKinley III, having a career day because of the opportunities in the secondary to make plays and also the run responsibility that he has to come up and stop the run. So Verone McKinley all season this year uh, has not topped double digits in tackles. And I think we see that play out for the first time this season for Verone McKinley. And he has over 10 tackles. He forces a turnover. I don't know if it's going to be an interception on his part or if it's maybe going to be a deflection that Brian Bennett or Brian Bennett, uh, Bennett Williams shows up and nabs or Jamal Hill nabs, or maybe he forces a fumble that Brandon Dorless falls onto. Um, I, I just think he's going to be much like Travis die. This could be his last game. He, he loves the program so much. I think he gives one of his best performances in what could be his last game out of Oregon. I'm making a Oklahoma rushing prediction but i just wanted to start by saying it's crazy how beat up oregon is at corner now and like that like if you're like if you're going like okay well if oregon can't it may be oregon can't stop them running but boy they're they should be able to lock them up on the outside it's like oklahoma has a bunch of former four and five star receivers and oregon is playing guys who are highly regarded at corner but they're also without dj james and mikhail right who are their clearly their two best corners like all season i mean like not any question about it so Let's see what Dante Manning and, and Triquist Bridges can do out there. Let's see what some of these true freshmen who've basically not played any meaningful reps, like Kevante Dickerson, I think played a little in the conference championship game against Utah, but he's barely played like meaningful snaps. Let's see if, what he can do. Darren Barkins isn't even going to, he's going to redshirt this year. He hasn't played enough. Same thing with Jalen Davies. And they're both going to be asked to play and play a decent amount. So um, I just say that to, to kind of begin the point of, I think Oklahoma will have some success and this will probably tip my hand a little bit to what my prediction will look like. But I think Oklahoma will have some success running and throwing the football. At the same time, Oregon is so beat up in the front seven. I know Oklahoma is a pass kind of oriented offense, or at least was under Lincoln Riley. They also have Kennedy Brooks, who's run for a thousand yards, three straight years. Um, and this year they had. So I have here's the prediction, I guess, because I talked about a bunch before getting to it. Oklahoma with also 200 or more yards rushing. I have both teams rushing for more mm -hmm. than 200 yards. And. I think it's because you look at both teams, they're both in similar spots with just a bunch missing from their front seven. Um, Matt and I talked on the podcast yesterday, I think, about 
Jackson Powers Johnson is now playing defense because Oregon is down so many of its interior linemen. Popo Amavai not being here is huge. Um, or, or being in, maybe he's here because I'm in Eugene, but not being in San Antonio where Matt is preparing for this football game is huge. Um, the fact that you are also without Jason Jones who transferred is huge. The fact that a couple of other guys uh, in Keon Ware Hudson, who was a key rotation guy, is still hurt, and that um, Jalen Smith, the player who didn't play this year but is at least a big body, is also dealing with something that is not available to play. Um, you're just looking at a very depleted front for Oregon. You know, uh, Jackson LeDuc, Matt. I think we're curious to hear more on this, but he's not available to play either. I was an interior. I was another inside linebacker that was expected to play a lot. Oregon, much like Oklahoma, is without a lot of key players. Obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau is not playing, but it's also the guys around him. So I think Oklahoma will have success running the football and will gain more than 200 yards. I had literally the exact same prediction. So for the exact same reasons, uh, they're just depleted. Uh, Oklahoma is a good rushing team overall, especially with Caleb Williams at the helm because he's just an electric quarterback out of the backfield. Um, and I just – there. Oklahoma has so many chances for just breakaway plays, just 60, 70 yard touchdown runs or throws um, that the yards can start piling up real fast. And with Oregon's like a very, very, very limited depth um, at, at corner, at linebacker, at defensive line, um, their entire defense, basically, um, it's going to be a struggle to keep that offense like under wraps. And they haven't been as good as they have been the last couple of years in terms of just their offense and, and, their ability to create plays and and just gain yards, but it's still one of the better in the country. Um, they still, uh, even though they're known for this like run and gun, um, almost an air raid type of offense at points, they still average like 170, 174 yards on the ground. That's a lot. And I, I can't anticipate that with Oregon's deficiencies on defense in terms of their overall player personnel, um, that they're not just going to add in an extra 30 yards, 30, 40 yards to their, their season average. Um, so, yeah, I have the same thing. I think Oklahoma's going to get over 200 yards on the ground. Uh, did you guys skip your individual defensive stats? Did we, oh, um, I have didn't, some. Didn't we start with team? Uh, individual, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> I I mean, to follow up, I, I had the same thing as you guys for your, for your team stats uh, defensively for mine. Um, okay. I, I had or Oregon giving up over 200 yards on the ground. Um, don't really need to go into too much of it because you guys covered it perfectly <laughs> as well. <laughs> All right. Well, so, so let's really quickly then go around. We'll do our individual predictions and we'll come back and do the game predictions. All right. Yeah. Defensively, I, I had, and I hinted at this before, I think Oregon gets in the end zone defensively. Um, in part, I'm predicting that because if they don't, I think it's going to be hard for this to remain. I don't want to say competitive, but for them to stay in intact and kind of, in, I guess in contact is a better term than intact because hopefully they well, hopefully they can stay intact. That's a question too because of the depth. But That'd be good. <laughs> but in contact with Oklahoma, they might need some help on defense. And so I, I'm thinking this is the Bennett Williams effect. I'm not saying he's the one who scores, but the only t- defensive touchdown all season was probably on Bennett Williams's last snap of the year was his touchdown on a pick six that was like 70 yards against Arizona. Um, I don't think he played after that because the game was out of hand, and then he didn't play against Stanford. So. I'm not saying on the very first play of this game he's going to score another touchdown, but maybe he brings the good luck of getting in the end zone defensively back for this defense. So I have an Oregon defensive player getting in the end zone for the first time since Arizona. Uh, For my individual, I picked the duo. I have um, 
Jeffrey Bassa and Osul combining for 12 to 14 tackles. Um, I picked those two guys out specifically mostly because, A, I think Oklahoma's going to run the ball or, or at least try to run it effectively. And, B, I think one of those guys is going to be the, the QB spy that kind of spies in on Caleb Williams and, and will try to bring him down or try to catch up to him. Um, I think Oklahoma's just going to have – a lot of opportunities for Williams to run the ball, whether it's uh, from interior pressure from Oregon's defensive line or just design runs. Um, and I think one of those guys are going to be there to stop him, hopefully. <laughs> if, if they're not, he's gone. So Bossa and Sewell combined 12 to 14 tackles. All right, team picks here. Um, I've got – I've gone back and forth on this one because a couple times where we have – gone into games and thought, wow, this is going to be a complete blowout in favor of Oregon, or wow, this is going to be a complete blowout in favor of the opponent. Um, the opposite happens. That's happened this season. It's happened previously. Um, and then we've also seen games where we – I got Utah, where a lot of people are predicting um, between the two fan bases or between the two teams that – Oregon's going to get destroyed, and we'd, we'd think otherwise, and then they go out and get destroyed. So I've, I've kind of gone back and forth with this pick. I think Oregon can be competitive. I think they will be competitive in this game. I do not think they will win this game, though. Um, Oregon does its best with its run game, uh, limited numbers at receiver, depleted numbers defensively to stay in it. And for the most part, I, I actually think there will be a part in this game, maybe it's in the first half, where they have the lead. Um, but they will eventually fall 36 to 28 to Oklahoma uh, in a game in which they just don't have the firepower, the quick score ability to match what Oklahoma has. And that's basically the difference in this game of Oregon's lack of depth and lack of, I guess, an explosive offense that can quickly score um, to match Oklahoma's being the difference. We haven't talked off the, I guess, off the mic about our predictions here, but I think we're going to be probably all kind of aligned in at least the who wins. And I think it sounds like Matt and I are pretty aligned in terms of how it takes place. I was surprised that the, by the way, the over under is 60 and a half. I guess yeah. if, if I was betting, which I don't, cause I'm terrible at betting. So maybe the opposite will happen, but I look at this game and think there's no way it's under. I mean, I think yes. both these teams are so depleted defensively. I know both teams are also without some receivers and some other players, but like, boy, if you're if if you look at this one, I just think there's going to be a lot of points to be had here, um, and and ultimately, I think it's a game where where Oklahoma is just kind of like Matt has a little bit too much firepower. Um, if this becomes a game where it comes down to which quarterback can lead you to success, like Oklahoma has a huge advantage at quarterback from my perspective. Yeah, I'm not diminishing what Anthony Brown can do as a runner because I wouldn't be surprised if he he runs for 70 yards and has a yeah. pretty good day running. Like that wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me, especially with all of that Oklahoma's missing in its front seven. I bet they'll try to get players in space and let Anthony Brown beat players with his legs. I don't think that's a surprise, but throwing the football, it's such a different, we're talking about like potentially a, a first or second overall draft pick in Caleb Williams down the line here. I mean, at least a, at least a first round pick probably when he goes out. I mean, that's the kind of player we're talking about top eight player out of high school um, at the Baltimore area. A guy that, by the way, he came in, he, he camped at Saturday night live camp at Oregon. I think before his junior year in high school, Oregon was a school that he looked at and then it went to Oklahoma can't blame them considering what they've done at quarterback. Um, I just think that's that's going to be tough. Caleb Williams is, is much more physically gifted and has shown his ceiling is much higher than Anthony Brown's. So yes. big advantage to them at quarterback. 
I think Oregon, like Matt says, it's a competitive. I don't think ultimately they're able to win, though. And I think Oklahoma kind of pulls away late. I have 41-30 Sooners. Mm, 41-30, that's a, that's a high-scoring one. Um, I didn't really waver on this pick. I think I've thought this since the, the day that Oregon and Oklahoma were matched up. Um, I have Oklahoma winning 35-21. Um, I'm just I, – I, I, after watching two of the last three weeks of Oregon football where the depleted wide receiver core um, and a relatively depleted defense, um, I don't anticipate Oregon comes close to scoring enough points to keep it steady with Oklahoma. That, and that's the issue is because if, if once Oklahoma stacks the box and says, hey, you're going to have Anthony Brown throw to beat us, I don't see it happening. And I think that's what Utah did exactly in their two games. They said, we're going to try and stop the run as much as we can and force you guys to beat us with a pass. Never happened. Um, Oregon State just didn't have the player personnel to do that. Um, I think Oklahoma, while their defense isn't great, I think their talent level is is somewhere between Oregon State and Utah in terms of defense, which I know is a huge gap, but they're somewhere in there. But And so I, I can't anticipate Oregon just scoring enough. Um, I think Oklahoma is going to pull ahead and not look back, and I think Oregon's defense is not having literally um, – like all but three of their difference makers on the season on their defense is going to be just a really hard thing to get over for them. Um, so yeah, Oklahoma 35, Oregon 21. One, one quick note, this bowl game traditionally has a ton of points. So I'm with Eric. If you're betting this one, bet the over just some scores from 2010 and beyond uh, a 41, 31 game, a 67 to 56 game, a 40 to 35 game, a 47 to 41 game, 39 to 37 game, and then most recently last year, a 55 to 23 game. Uh, points will be scored in this one traditionally. Uh, it always feels like one of the higher scoring games out there. So if you are betting, maybe don't touch on the Oregon line, but maybe bet the over here. I, I think all of us don't expect this to, to be one that lacks points. Um, and it should be exciting in that manner, at least. So uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Odds and Audibles podcast. Check out DuckTerritory.com for more coverage of the Alamo Bowl. And then go to DuckTerritory.com for more coverage leading up to Dane Lanning's official start date as full-time acting head coach for the Oregon Ducks. Until uh, we talk to you again here on the show, thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.